Off the Chains is sponsored by Simeon Brothers Creative. Design, print, and promotion. For any of your graphic design needs, follow Simeon Brothers Creative on any of your social media platforms. That's S-I-M-I-A-N Brothers Creative. world and welcome to episode seven of off the chains and i'd like to start off this week's episode by taking this time to personally congratulate one of my good buddies that i met this year on the disc golf scene and disc golf community my buddy mr michael sarah mike sarah he took place in the j-town championships this past weekend one in Trini- uh, one round at Trinity Links, and another round at Delwood Park, at Canyons at Delwood Park. And this man, I didn't actually take the time to look at his score, and I should have, so Michael, I apologize, don't hit me. Uh, <laughs> but um, he ended up taking second place in MA4, so that is the novice division. So with that second place finish this year, Mr. Michael Sarah, you and I both... This year have one second place finish and one third place finish trophies, which just comes to show, Michael, that you and I are just not good enough to get first place. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just teasing you, man. Congratulations. I'm very happy for you. Second place at a big tournament like that. That's awesome. Especially playing Trinity. All I could have been able to do it because I play awful that Trinity every year. So good for you. I am very happy for you and congratulations to you. Alright, now we're moving right on here. Let's get this right get going here. Uh, with our weekend recap. And that was this past uh, weekend, or should I say past four days. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. For the Disc Golf Pro Tour Championships. Presented by Guaranteed Rate. Now for those that didn't know what Guaranteed Rate was. this was going. They made their sponsorship. Made this tournament the biggest payout in disc golf history, not just the Pro Tour history, but also the disc golf world history. Uh, the first place was receiving $30,000, both the MPO and the FPO divisions. Um, oops, sorry, let me get this, let me get it right up and going here. Gotta love when things don't like to load and take forever. And you have to kill time to sing a song until it comes back. Okay. Um, <laughs> all right. So, as it got to round one, and that was this uh, Thursday, October 14th. Um, and that was just for the MPO, as it showed the top 32 players for the MPO playing Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, with some getting a bye to the quarterfinals, some getting a bye to the semifinals, and then as for the FPO division, they didn't start till Friday, which was only the top 16 women who performed for that, and which they started Friday, 
and then four players got a round or bye to the uh, semifinals. So, uh, for round one, though, for the men, it was Hornets Nest Park, show, and this is coming to you from the Disc Golf Pro Tour website. Uh, it says here that Hornets Nest Park showed its stinger today for the first round of the Disc Golf Pro Tour Championships, where 16 MPO players battled it out through the woods of the Charlotte, North Carolina course, trying to navigate tight lines of the fairways. With only four players able to move on after Thursday's round, each player would have only one shot to shoot their best in hopes of it being good enough to move on to the quarterfinal round quarterfinal round, excuse me, on Friday, where another eight MPO players will be waiting for their chance to prove themselves as eight players out of the thirty-two received a bye to the quarterfinals. Uh, out of the gate round one, we saw Nathan Queen setting the pace at a six under and kept it and kept at it carding five birdies on the front nine before slowing down a little bit and picking up a pair of bogeys and three birdies on the last five holes. His great, his great placement on drives and upshots gave him chances that he capitalized on, hitting five putts from circle two, as well as a 90-foot throw-in on hole 18 to cap off his stellar first round. Uh, the other lefty of the round was Chris Clemens, who shot a four-under par, also managed to slice and dice up the fairways with his smooth forehands, taking birdies when he could, but mainly carding pars, which were good enough to get him to the next round. Um, behind these two, first two, there was a battle to see who would take the next two spots. Players like Thomas Gilbert, who shot even, Andrew Presnell as well, along with Andrew Presnell, I'm sorry, who shot even as well. Both seemed to be making early runs, but ultimately fell off the pace and came up short. On the other hand, players like Raven Newsom, who shot a 3-under par, Ben Calloway, 2-under par, and my boy Chandler Fry shooting another 2-under par as well, all were pushing down the stretch, but they couldn't string an, a, together enough birdies to bring their scores down. And unfortunately, my boy Chandler Fry did not make it to the quarterfinals, but you know what, Chandler? It's been an honor to meet you this year, sir. It was an honor to watch you at Clash of Canyons. It has been an honor to just follow you this entire year and I am glad to not only consider you a uh, professional but also a good personal friend so but um, the hometown hero Jeremy Colling which shot, unfortunately shot only a one under par seemed like he would hold on for the quarterfinal appearance before a pair of tough bogeys on hole 17 and 18 which took him out of the running including on hole 18 where he completely lost angle of his disc and ended up going OB um, as for the young, bun, uh, young guns, Gannon Burr, three under, started the day with a pair of bogeys, but managed to snag five birdies on the day and kept the rest of his scorecard clean, earning him a chance to play Friday's round and rounding out the winners, Emerson Keith, also starting off the day doing bogey, birdie, bogey, before finding his pace and really playing clean down the final stretch, getting three birdies on the last four holes. And then after round one, we saw the MPO quarterfinal rounds being starting off with Nathan Queen, Chris Clemens, Emerson Keith, and Gannon Burr, and then rounding out after, and then after that would be Drew Gibson, Andrew Marweed, Matty O, Matt Oram, and Double G Garrett Gerthy, and then rounding out the quarterfinal round would be Nico LaCastro, Chris Dickerson, Ezra Aderhold, and Joel Freeman. Um, as for the MPO notes in round one, like I said, Nathan Queen with a six under par was five of seven from circle two with three putts from 38 feet, one from 49 feet, and one from 60 feet, as well as a 90 foot throw in on hole 18. Queen gained 3.4, three and a half strokes, I'm sorry, putting from circle two and 3.34 gained from putting overall. Chris Clemens, four under par, gained the most strokes, T to green, with 
a 2.18 with Emerson Keith 300 just behind him at 2.07. Uh, Chandler Fry, 200 par, and also Ben Calloway, excuse me, at 200 par, were the only players without an OB stroke on the day. So, you know what, Chandler, you didn't, might have not made it to the second uh, quarterfinals, but hey, man, you didn't throw it OB. So that's, that's always a win in my book. I always like to tell myself, no matter if I'm playing a practice round or a goddamn tournament, if I can manage to not throw OB once, I take that as a win, regardless if I shot over or under. <laughs> and also, Ben Calloway was the only player to be 100% from Circle 1X putting. Um, all right, moving right along here. Moving on to the quarterfinals, which took place on October 15th. And it saw an exciting second round of action from the quarterfinal round of the Disc Golf Pro Tour Championships at Hornets Nest Park, with 12 competitors in each division being whittled down to four. Anyone hoping to move on would have to give it their all and hope that their score was good enough to make it through to the semifinals. Uh, with a $30,000 first place payout, every competitor out on the course today was throwing, hoping they could win their way into the next day of competition. Um, in the FPO division, a few players got off to a hot start, including Holly Finley, 6 over par, who aced the Tough Island hole, uh, too. While the rest of her round didn't keep pace, players like Heather Young, 5 under par, Haley King, 4 under par, Jessica Weiss, 4 under par, Kona Star Panis, 3 under par, and the legend Juliana Corver, 3 under par, all got off to hot starts and kept the pressure on the rest of the field, as Deanne Carey, 2 under par, and Lisa Faker shot a 1 under par, picked up a good number of birdies, but just couldn't keep the extra strokes off of their scorecard cards. Uh, Young dominated most of the course, and despite a slight slip-up on holes 15 and 16, she was able to hold on to the hot round and advance with a score of 500 par, with Haley King playing a solid round, only picking up two bogeys, and scored often and early enough to keep pace and finish with a 400 par. Uh, Jessica Weiss managed to hold out in advance, despite a late bogey on hole 18, as she was able to light up the course early and pick up some late birdies down the stretch. Um, the last spot to advance was a battle between Juliana Corver and Kona Panis. That came down to the last few holes. Un Kona ended up carded two strings of three birdies and was sitting at six under par, while some costly mistakes brought her three over plus three strokes on holes 15 and 17. However, Juliana Corver was unable to capitalize on these mistakes as she carded a bogey on 16 and shot one over par through the final six holes. So unfortunately, it had came to an end after the quarterfinals for Juliana Corver. But I gotta tell you something, uh... That woman, five-time world champion, one of the greatest women disc golfers of all time, 51 years old, decided to make a comeback this year, see if she still had it, and my golly, she did. I mean, she did not get a win on the Disc Golf Pro Tour, but my God, there was some top five finishes, there was top ten finishes, she even had a third top three finish. That woman can still play, and she is a true inspiration and a true reason, a good person for the sport, and a also reason why I enjoy the sport disc golf today. Um, for the FPO notes for round, uh, the quarterfinal round, Deanne Carey, 200 par, gained the most strokes putting at 3.35, but Lisa Fakis, 100 par, was the only FPO player to throw 100% from C1X. Juliana Corver, 300 par, gained the most strokes from Tita Green, with a 4.84, with Jessica Weiss, 400 par, in a second at 3.76. Uh, Holly fin Finley was a 6-over, had the lone ace of the day, hitting the chains of the 267-foot island hole 2 with a skip off the island green. 
And going into the semifinal round Saturday, October 16th, saw hey, uh, the first card saying Haley King, Jessica Weiss, Kona Starpanis, and Heather Young. And then rounding out the FPO semifinal round would be the five-time world champ Paige Pierce, two-time world champ Katrina Allen, Miss Missy Gannon, and also world champ Sarah Holcomb. Uh, so not actually that was not a bad card going in the semifinals for the FPO. What really stood out to me was how well Juliana Corbett's played this year. Um, like I said, the fact that she's at, at the age she is and be able to still play the way she is, um, it's it's truly remarkable, um, and it gives everybody a true inspiration that regardless of age, you can if you really set your mind set to, uh, to something, you can really accomplish it. So I hats off to her. Um, thing that really stood out to me. Uh, for the men, I guess I should say in round one was Nathan Queen just going off with all those throw-ins, including the 90-footer on hole 18 in the round one. Insane. So, uh, in the MPO division on, for the quarterfinal round, it was a day of momentum as all four players who had played their way in from the first round all continued their dominance and put the pressure on the rest of the quarterfinal players from the start. Gannon Burr, 7-under, as well as Nathan Queen, both showed no signs of difficulty as they improved on the first-round scores, easily advancing to, into the semifinals. Chris Clemens, 5-under, and Emerson Keith, 4-under, both had more ups and downs to their rounds, picking up some extra strokes along the way. However, at the end of the day, Emerson Keith came up just short as he bogey hole 17 after carding birdies on three of the four holes prior. And despite Clemens shooting the same as Matty O, 500, he will not be advancing due to tiebreakers, which are that Orem had finished higher with regular season points. So it basically, instead of playing like a tiebreaker, playing a playoff hole to see who would advance, like if Matty O and, you know, like I said, Chris Clemens got the same score. However, if Matty O's ranking for the championship was higher he would get that tiebreaker just based off that so it would have been nice to see chris clemens go but i was happy to see maddie o go on and the uh the uh excitement and the feels that you got when he made that putt and he was just fist pumping it was like roll damn tie baby <laughs> so um, a big surprise around was that some favorites came out with a slow start and struggled chris dickerson three under a two-time um, DGPT champion who also came in second place at last year's event in Hornets Nets faltered slightly down the stretch going one over through seven holes. Similar story happened with Ezra Aderhold who shot even who just couldn't put together a solid round and was three over through the last eight holes. Andrew Marweed, who shot a one under par, made a strong push, getting five birdies in a row from holes 12 to 16, but had struggled to, but had struggled too much early on and couldn't jump on any players. And Matt Bell looked like he would have a shot at making the semifinals before taking a triple bogey on 17 and brought his tournament hopes to a complete end. Uh, for MPO notes for this quarterfinals, we saw Gannon Burr, 7 under, and Chris Clemens, 5 under, and Ezra Aderhold even, were the only players who were 100% from C1X, as Andrew Marweed was uh, 4 under, was 4 for 5 from C2, and gained 2.33 strokes of the field from C2, and had a 102-foot throw-in on hole 5. Drew, Kips, Drew Gibson was a 7 under par, gained the most strokes from T to Green at 5.30, with Nathan Queen coming in second at a 2.44. And then going into the Saturday semifinal round for the MPO, saw Drew Gibson, Matthew, Matty O, Gannon Burr, and Nathan Queen. And then Kyle Klein, Kevin Jones, James Conrad, and Nico LaCastro. And then rounding out the semifinal round would be Ricky Wysocki, Calvin Heinberg, Paul McBeth, and Mr. Adam Hammes. Uh, the thing that stood out to me in uh, the second round was, again, Nathan Queen and Gannon Burr shooting the hot rounds of 7-under. Um, and just being able to make it onto the semifinal round. Um, especially Gannon Burr being only 16 years old. That's absolutely incredible.
And just like that, ladies and gentlemen, after the quarterfinal round, there were only eight with the semifinals round now behind us. This is called Pro Tour Championships has found its finals health field. 12 MPO and 8 FPO players took the Hornets' Nest for the third of four rounds of the Charlotte, North Carolina course yesterday, uh, Saturday in hopes to come out victorious. With the prestige of being crowned the DGPT champion as well as the winner's purse of $30,000, there was a lot on the line for Saturday's round if any of the competitors wanted a chance to fight for the title. In the MPO division, we saw a lot more of the same as Nathan Queen and Drew Gibson with 7-under and 8-under respectively have been just been dialed in at Hornets Nest so far all week, all the, uh, this past weekend. They were both able to light up the fairways and baskets with tight throws and great composure, each only with one blemish on their scorecards and a whole lot of blue. Youngster Gannon Burr, 600 par, was also continuing to play his dominant game at this course, but unfortunately found himself carding two bogeys on holes 15 and 16 and just wasn't able to make up the lost ground, excuse me, and ended up tied for fifth, falling one stroke short of Queen and Gibson. Had he been able to snag one more birdie, he would have been able to jump Queen due to their DGPT seasonal points. And also a note, side note, Nathan Queen coming in as the 28th seed was won his way through three rounds now and is on his way to the finals to battle out with the three remaining players. Discraft pros Paul McBeth and Adam Hammond, 7 and 8 under respectively, continue with their dominant season, putting up great rounds and ending his spot in the finals. McBeth is just fresh off a USDGC win and Hammond is looking for his fourth win of the season. As much like in the earlier rounds, we saw some notable favorites struggle through the tricky trees of Hornets Nest, as Ricky Wysocki ended up finishing 5-under, who came in as the number one seed starter of the day, with a quadruple bogey on hole 2. That's right, a quad bogey that was not able to recover from, though he birdied 9 holes on the day. His 4-plus strokes from that one hole were a weight he just couldn't shake off and ended up falling a couple of strokes short of making the finals. Other favorites like Kevin Jones, 1-over, Kyle Klein, 5-under, and Calvin Heinberg, 2-over, are surprise misses for the final round. Klein ended up one stroke short, while Jones and Heinberg both struggled very hard, despite both of them making the final round last year, and Jones ended up winning the 2020 DGPT Championship. This year, they will have to watch the rest of the field play from the gallery. With no Jones or Dickerson in the finals, we'll have a new champion for the first time since 2017 in the MPO division. Can Queen keep up the pace in the fourth round and Gibson a third? Or will the USDGC champion and world's runner-up sag yet another title? Uh, notable notes. Only Kyle Klein and Drew Gibson were 100% from C1X. Adam Hammonds gained the most strokes from T to Green. And five players had a 50% birdie conversation rate, and that was Gannon, Nick Gannon Bird, Nathan Queen, Paul McBeth, Ricky Wysocki, and also Adam Hammonds. And then going into the final round, we saw Drew Gibson, Paul McBeth, Adam Hammes, and Nathan Queen. As for the FPO, once again, a similar story dominant from Haley King and Heather Young, three under respectively. Both players who had played their way into the semifinals and a tough round for some favorites like Paige Pierce and Katrina Allen, who were two over and even. Young started off hot snagging four birdies in a row, but then hit a lull, shooting a two over not through nine holes. Before finishing off with a pair of birdies on 17 and 18, it's a secure spot in the final round. Haley led the day in a birdie percentage with 44%, and despite a few bogeys, she was still able to hold on to her lead and finish the day at 5-under, tying for the hot round. Missy Gannon got her work done early and the coast of the victory. She birdied four out of the first six holes, and then settled for par from there on out. Both Allen and Kona Pana seemed to be at one over, seemed to be on off and on the right pace. Allen at four under and Panis at three under through the first six holes. However, Hornets Nest decided to put a stop to their impressive starts as they both shot four over from there. Pierce struggled early going bogey birdie, double bogey bogey on the first four holes. She was able to find a few birdies in the middle stretch, but another double bogey brought her off track and some there 
and from there she only managed to par her way out of the round. Will King be able to defend her 2020 title with Young showing that she can put a great round every day, and with Gannon and Hokum joining the fray, it could be anyone's championship in the FPO division. Uh, Heather Young was a 4-for-4 four for, four for uh, FPO Nose from C2 and gained uh, 3.5 strokes putting against the field. Sarah Hokum and Paige Pierce led in Circle 1X putting with 83%. Haley King thread but with 3.3.5 strokes gained T to green. Missy Gannon had a 100% scramble rate. And then going into the final round was Missy Gannon, Sarah Holcomb, Haley King, and Heather Young. I'm kind of talking a little faster here because I'm already 21 minutes in. We only got a little bit of time here, and I'd like to get to my main part. I'd like to get to this interview. But going into the final round of the 2021 Disc Golf Pro Tour Championship, like I said, presented by Guaranteed Rate, with only four players left in each division, a match play type round would determine who would walk away with the title and a $30,000 first prize. All of the Elite and Silver Series events culminated with the final round of the championships as we crowned two winners, Miss Missy Gannon of the FPO and Mr. Nathan Queen, the shocking, the surprising one of the FPO. In the FPO division, Missy had a 500 finish, left out of the commanding start, shooting 500 on the front nine, while Sarah Holcomb 1-under and Heather Young 1-under tried to keep pace, but found trouble with early success. Gannon played smooth, smart disc golf, and even despite two late bogeys, was able to hold on to her lead and tap in an easy par on 18 to take down the DGPT Championship. This makes the second elite event Gannon has won in as many weeks, and just last week she was crowned the TWDGC Champion. Missy Gannon wins, uh, she ended up winning by four strokes over Heather Young and Sarah. Holcomb. While Young and Holcomb battled it out for the second and third, Haley King ended up finishing at 11 over par, had to just watch on as she started off with a double bogey on hole one and couldn't quite turn her uh, round around. After finishing plus seven on the front nine, King shot plus four on the back nine, including capping off with a pair of bogeys on 17 and 18. King would have to settle with fourth place, not quite where she had wanted to end up, and will have to come back next year to reclaim her title. Holcomb and Young continued battle out on the stretch. With a birdie on 17, Young had even the playing field against Holcomb. However, Young just couldn't save on par on 18. With a putt from just inside the circle, she would have to settle with ending tied for second with Sarah Holcomb. Uh, as for the MPO division, Nathan Queen 8-under, Drew Gibson 6-under, Paul Macbeth 4-under, all started off vying for position for the leaderboard after the front nine, Macbeth only led the others by a stroke as they headed on to the second part of the course. Despite a stellar first round, um, in the semifinal, Adam Hamish just couldn't find a way to repeat their performance and dropped strokes early, going 7-plus over. Down the later stretch of the course, Gibson and Queen showed their momentum and course experience would push them through as Queen shot 5-under and Gibson 3 on the back 9. Paul ended up, Paul McBeth ended up falling off pace and only managed two birdies that were met with two bogeys and couldn't make up the strokes in either way of the players in that. Nathan Queen was able to hold off a charge in Gibson and the reigning USDGC champion in McBeth to earn himself the title and the $30,000 first prize. So, congratulations to Miss Missy Gannon and Mr. Nathan Queen on being your 2021 Disc Golf Pro Tour champions. So, Alright, before I get into the interview with the uh, your MPO winner, Nathan Queen, I want to take this time to, if you have not heard already, it was announced yesterday that Drew Gibson, that's right, has signed a lifetime deal with Infinite Disc worth, that, and I quote, millions of dollars. And also, Drew Gibson will also release signature lineup discs, fresh off a top four finish, this is coming from Ultimate World Disc Golf at USDGC, and run to the finals at the Disc Golf Pro Championship. Drew Gibson has signed a lifetime contract with Infinite Disc that guarantees to pay out quote, millions of dollars, unquote, the player told Ulta World Disc Golf. The deal with Infinite, who has sponsored Drew since late 2019, is related to the is related to a brand new line of discs designed by the California Pro. 
The still unnamed brand will be wholly owned by Gibson's company, Gibson Industries, LLC, and manufactured and distributed in partnership with Infinite Disc. Details of disc sales, royalties, and other bonuses that could raise Gibson's compensation, which is uncapped, were not shared with Ulti World. Uh, this is the third year we have had Drew under contract with the limits we currently have getting discs in the Infinite line. It makes it difficult for us to promise much to our high-profile team members saying disconnected disc owner and founder Alan Barker, who told Old Tie World this. Drew also said, Drew's connection with his manufacturer creates the opportunity for him to him to earn what his brand is worth and what he well deserves. Gibson's signature line of discs will function similar, similarly to Paul McBeth's signature line through Discrip. A release date for Gibson's line of discs has not been yet announced, but is targeted for the first quarter of 2022. Uh, the new manufacturing distributing agreement with Infinite Disc does all does not alter or affect Gibson's existing athlete contract through Infinite Disc that allow him to throw a mixed bag of discs from various manufacturers or his putter only endorsement deal with EB7. Gibson's athlete contract with Infinite is year to year and includes a salary and benefits, which Gibson described as in, quote incredible. Drew Gibson also said, quote, "I have to thank DGPT." DGPM group for help brokering the deal, removing stress, and making both parts successful, and making my life on the disc golf course or in the disc golf career a lot easier. Uh, DGPTM group is a new agency helmed by Stephen Scansaroli that aims to provide contract and sponsorship, negotiation, branding, management, social media services, and more to disc golf professionals. In addition to Gibson's DGPM's current client list includes also pros Eric Oakley, Connor O'Reilly, and the and the legend Trevor Harbolt. So, Drew Gibson's uh, the offseason for Drew Gibson has already began as he signs a world, uh, a lifetime deal worth millions with Infinite. And to be honest, I'm sure Infinite's going to end up being the biggest brand down in the future because you're going to be able to throw anything, and people are going to be like, you know what, I want to throw something from Innova, or I want to, I want to throw a dis distance driver from Innova, I want to throw a fairway driver from Dismania, or I want to throw a mid range from Discraft, or I want to throw a latitude putter. You know, eventually it's going to get to that point. So. Very excited for Drew Gibson for 2022, and I am very excited to see what his new line of signature discs are going to be. So, all right, we are getting to that point where I want to get to this interview with Nathan Queen coming from the Nick and Matt show. Uh, it's a 32-minute thing, um, so we're going to, and we're kind of trying and cut this a little bit so that I can be able to say some stuff at the end of this podcast episode. So here is the interview with your 2021 DGPT MPO winner, Nathan Queen ready we'll bring you in all right here we go nathan queen everybody welcome to the show we're glad you're here uh first of all congratulations. and also if ads pop up i apologize second absolutely of, yeah second of all you just gotta walk us through the whole experience i know it's one day fresh but that's important i want you just to kind of walk through it the feeling going into this finale and then to this ending point i guess cool. well thank you guys for having me here it's been it's been an incredible week all week long been able to just center myself and I felt really comfortable and confident throughout the week. I didn't really have many nerves going on except maybe Saturday morning going into the semifinals. I got a little bit nervous, but that was just while I was at home. Uh, since it's been over, it's just kind of a very fresh, a fresh new feeling for me. It's been a long, a long time coming for myself like you guys were just talking about, nobody else really saw it coming. Um, but just an incredible feeling. I'm still not sure I fully understand what it's going to mean for me just yet, but I still haven't stopped smiling and I'm still just floating around over here. 
<laughs> that's that's got to be an awesome feeling, and you get to look at it every single time with that trophy right behind you. Winning arguably one of the biggest tournaments of the year, the biggest payout of the year. How does this kind of talking about, in a sense, the money aspect of it, how does this kind of plan your future touring? Were you planning on going back out on the road next year? How does this help out in that situation? I was already planning to tour next year. Uh, Like you guys saw, I am actually sitting in my new trailer that I picked up before this event. And um, it, it just makes it a lot easier for next year, you know. Uh, getting the truck in the trailer beforehand i paid for it all up front so it was pretty uh a pretty hefty tag there let me feel in a little bit lower bank account wise going into next year but now it's just it's not gonna be not that it was gonna worry me and bring me down but now i don't really have to think about it mm-hmm. uh, that's awesome yeah yeah, and this is interesting because last year we had an interview with the winners and that was the largest cash payout. And we said at that point, that's life changing for a lot of disc golfers. Um, it changes up how they perceive the coming year. Um, you just talked about the price tag of paying for something like your traveling setup ahead of time. What does this do for your perspective on the coming year? Like, are you dreaming different things now? Are you thinking different things even as of one day ago? Like, what are your thoughts? Um, I think the thoughts are about the same, but the actions on them are going to be a lot faster. It already feels like I've already got a few things working just within the last 24 hours um that i'm pretty excited about i'm not gonna give much away besides that but (laughs) come um, on (laughs) (laughs) are you talking things like sponsorships that kind of a thing yeah different sponsorships and just other opportunities that that come along from such a you know monumental win like this i guess is a good way to put it yeah, absolutely. Definitely other companies, uh, whether manufacturer-wise or even just other companies in the disc golf world, finding the value in you, and especially on such a massive stage. I don't know exactly how many viewers are watching, but this is going to be aired on ESPN within the month. I mean, it's definitely, it was a huge stage to win it on. And so you were coming in as the 28th seed into this event. People are calling it the Cinderella story. You're coming out of the first round. Have you... Some people say this is one of your home courses. Or Nobody put money online. on him on the pre-bracket, by the way. Your mindset one going person. into every single round. It's because it's a whole new day. Previous day score doesn't matter as long as you make it into the next round. Right. So I never actually have lived in Charlotte. I have played Hornet's Nest a little bit, but I never. I only played one round on it in the original layout. And then before the Pro Tour in 2019, I just had a couple rounds on it, and I played the Carolina Clash there. So not necessarily a home course, but I did have some rounds in on it and feel pretty comfortable on the course. Um, going into that first round was just get out there and get your birdies. You know, I feel pretty comfortable playing the course, and I have a lot of opportunities to birdie out there. So as long as you don't mess up and take the bogeys, you should be going all right. Um, and just each day... I kind of, when people were, you know, I got so many people reaching out to me just telling me congratulations and everything. And a lot of the time I responded with, yep, one more start tomorrow. Uh, so just looking at each round, like starting a new round, it's not, it's not a, the same tournament. I started a new tournament each day was uh, kind of the mindset I looked at. 
Interesting. How, how does that affect your gameplay? Do you feel like that was nice, like easy, or was it like, man, all that work I did, like we just got to start over? What was your perspective on that? Uh, well, if we compare it to the rest of the season, it seems like I should think about that every round because uh, this is the first time I've won something like this. So uh, it might be something I take up next year, thinking about each round like a new tournament and get off to a hot start. Yeah. It's it definitely and I was going to ask you if you could rate your rounds and maybe you could do each of them if you'd like to but like rate your rounds did you feel like you were playing out of your mind was it really good for yourself or did you feel like this is how I normally can play I just haven't been like what was your thought process Uh that's a that's a pretty tough one to answer I think <laughs> <laughs> Um I missed a circle one putt each round i miss one inside the circle which i don't feel like i should do uh even if they are circles edge i don't feel like i should make those um or miss those and other than that i i feel comfortable throwing in the woods so hitting those gaps is what i feel like i should do um that last round uh being able to to hit those four par threes in a row 13, 14, 15, 16, hit the gaps on all four of those. Those are all super tight. That um, I don't know that I can say I expect myself to always do that, but at that point in time, I did, and um, it was it was just awesome to be able to pull it off. To be able to do it in that moment while you're going against Drew Gibson playing an incredible tournament, Paul McBeth just coming off a USDGC win, and then Adam Hammes with some decent wins this year. Does the pressure of who you're playing with on your card ever get to you? Or like you were saying earlier, is it just, you know, hey, it's a new round. I got to go out and do my thing. Yeah, usually I don't have much pressure on who I'm playing with or how they're playing. I do pretty well with uh, sticking within my game a lot of the time. Like Drew made... 17 putts outside of 80 feet you know he was (laughs) he just kept making putts the whole time but it never you know that never made me feel like i had to make my putt more um i was already going into it knowing that i had to make my putt to do what i needed to do um so i just i really enjoy playing with high caliber players like that because you get to watch awesome shots while you do it as well and uh, this really just makes it the most fun it can be. When did you have the feeling of, holy crap, I just did it? Was it actually on the last part of you putting it in, or was it after parking hole 15, parking hole 16, and getting strokes on everyone, saving an incredible par on hole 17? I think that was one of your only, that last round, maybe one of your only big missed drives was on 17, and then you had the mindset of, you know what, I'm not going to push anything. I'm just going to play putter or mid, putter or mid, however you went up and you got your par. When did it all kind of sink in that, like, wow, this this actually is happening? Uh, so once I laced the drive on 16, um, I wasn't exactly sure if I got all the way down to the basket or not, but I saw it crest the hill and start to fade back, and I knew that that was what it was supposed to do. Uh, I got up over top of that hill and saw my disc about, you know, six or seven feet behind the basket. That was a pretty close moment to, if I, I had it wrong in my head. I wasn't looking at the scores and I was one stroke off on, on what was actually going on. So, uh, when I took that birdie on 16, after Drew made another 70 footer, um, 
I thought that that put him two back of me going into 17. So I was looking at, I need one birdie on these last two holes to make sure I secure it. And once I got that tee shot on 17, I actually disked down to try to play safer. I was messing that tee shot up through the first three rounds. I kept messing up and getting lucky and landing in the fairway. So I disked down to that Mako 3 to try to make sure I could land in the fairway slightly further than where I had been kicking to. And it just kicked into the woods. (laughs) So I guess I should never really disk down. I should just go for it. But, uh, but yeah, just play for par from there. And, um, once I got that par, I looked at the scores to make sure I was right that I, that I had one stroke and probably needed to birdie. And I saw that I had two strokes and that's about, that's when I knew that I wasn't going to mess up 18 enough. Didn't matter what I did. My wraith is my pretty easy shot. That's what I throw off of that tee. I, I feel comfortable throwing that in pretty much any situation. So just throw my normal shot on 18 and I'm going to take it. That was, uh, that was when I knew. So it was either before or after your tee shot on 18. Uh, you can see on video, Paul Macbeth and you and someone else were kind of like crouching down, just like laying low, and it looked like Paul was talking to you. Was it about anything? Was it anything in specific or like, hey, you're going to watch the sports games tonight? What, what was he talking to you about? That was me finding out that it was two strokes instead of one. He came up to me and said, he could tell that I looked nervous, I guess. And he came up to me and said, hey, unless he aces, I think he got it. <laughs> and and uh, that was pretty much it. That was me finding out I had two strokes and then nice. it was going to be an easy hole 18. I didn't have much pressure on it. Very cool. Wow. So in the chat, people are really excited for you. Some people said this is the first time they've ever cried with someone winning. So you've brought people to tears. Um, there is a significant story to be told here, and I'd love to see a, uh, even a, a short documentary on this for you. Um, maybe we need to reach out to the same. Actually, I have the contact for Paige Pierce's producer there. Maybe I'll reach out and say this is a great story. But how did the crowd help in this situation? It seemed from our perspective as fans the crowd was really rallying behind you with every round that went through. What was your experience on that side of it with the crowd? Uh, Pretty similar. Um, It seemed like they were there for me the whole time. Um, Slightly smaller crowds on the first day, but still whenever, you know, I got that 90 foot throw in on 18 the first day and I've, I know it wasn't as loud as the final celebration, but there was enough people there that it was definitely a significant amount of noise. And um, the, I could tell throughout the whole week, but what finally made me realize that the crowd was there to watch to watch me pull this off was whenever we were on the tee on one the final day, and they announced my name last because I was still the lowest seed, so I teed off last. And I got louder cheers than all the other three players with Paul McBeth there, five-time world champ. And that was when I could kind of for sure know that I could just feel it. You know, all of, all of them were there to watch me try to pull this off. And they, I could, they all wanted me to. It was, it was, it was very cool. I can't, I really can't even imagine it. I don't need to. I'm not playing. I'm not the one competing at that level. Um, what, I'm, I'm kind of at a loss of words because I have to imagine someone in your skill level playing disc golf at a very high level. This is, am I wrong in saying this is your biggest win? 
uh, yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. Okay. And the, there's, there's nothing close. There's okay. nothing close. I think I saw a stat that said maybe your highest payout ever was 1600 so this destroys that. Um, yeah, even even if I would have got knocked out the first round, I still would have got my highest payout. <laughs> Success. <laughs> pretty, that's funny. Pretty awesome on the Pro Tours part. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess I'm just asking, like, tell us about you and your disc golf career. Um, I'm trying to go back. I don't even know how far. Like, tell us a little bit about, like, your disc golf journey for, like, maybe even the point of, like, hey, I decided to tour. You don't have to give us every little inside detail, but, like, did you have dreams? And some of these dreams are now, like, this was part of that dream. Like, I'm going to win something huge. I'm going to show people I can beat the best. Like, tell us about your journey uh, to choose to play disc golf. Yeah, it's a lot. It started a lot later age-wise as far as most people. Um, I moved to a new town, Newburgh, North Carolina, when I was 23. And I knew I played disc golf some, but it wasn't, it wasn't something that I did all the time. Um, but when I moved there, it's kind of a retirement and military town. And, you know, I don't have much to do with either of those. So, uh, I went out and just started playing disc golf a lot. The first day I was there was the Tuesday night doubles. Met some people, started playing a lot, and they all told me I was good. Um, Scott Stokely actually was around New Bern in 2014 telling me that I needed to go out and tour and whatnot. And I was just, I didn't know who he was at that point either. He was just a guy with blue hair telling me I needed to go play disc golf. But so, you know, that's kind of the early signs of people telling me that they thought I had something. And I was just working my job, going out and playing to have fun in the evenings. Um, Ended up moving to Raleigh. And I had started playing a lot of tournaments at that point. I didn't have much going on otherwise. So I'd take my dog to go play in the evenings and then go play a tournament on the weekends. And um, 20... 16, 17, and 18, I won the NC Point Series title, which is, uh, just look that up. It's a pretty sweet trophy, you know, almost three foot long in shape of North Carolina with all the winners on it from 1970 and on, I believe. Nice. Um, and then I traveled to Pittsburgh in 2018 to try to qualify for USDGC because it was the closest one to me. It was about a nine and a half hour drive. I went with a couple buddies and I guess this would be my second biggest win that I'm about to say is that Pittsburgh flying disc open. I won that a tier to qualify for USDGC in 2018 when, and then I went to USDGC and got 11, you know, they put me on a feature card with Sexton that year then I was able to play pretty well and get 11th. And that's what pushed me to decide to tour at 29 in 2019. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, do you feel like though, like in your mind, were you always thinking like that big one is there? Is that, is that ever crossed your mind or were you just like, eh, whatever it is, it is. No, absolutely. I went out with the expectation that I was going to be in contention at most of these events. That's what, you know, that's kind of what I was talking about that. I haven't met my expectations throughout this year. I had a couple good finishes, but even in those, I wasn't necessarily in contention and that's what I expect myself to do. I know that I have the ability to do that. 
Yeah, that was going to kind of be my next question is now going into the 2021 year after 2020 season that was kind of shortened uh, due to the pandemic. Now 2021, everything's kicking back up. The Pro Tour seems to be doing a ton of incredible things. What were your goals? Was it just being in contention, possibly winning? Did you have any other goals going throughout the season? Uh, not just trying to be in contention and be there every week. I, I am one of the players that actually plays more events than a lot of people. I I don't really know what to do with myself if I'm not out preparing or getting ready for a tournament. I just kind of feel lost and not sure what to do. So I play a lot of events, and I just always want to be able to play at a high caliber wherever I'm at. You know, I should be able to adapt to what's going on and be in contention for it. Out of the 33 events it looks like you played this year, three of them you didn't cash out. You actually got 55th at USDGC, 54th at Idlewild, and 51st at Great Lakes Open. Does that, when those events happen and you have an off week like that, what is kind of your mindset during that week or even going into the next tournament? What are you thinking about in that moment? Well, it kind of depended on the event this year. Great Lakes Open is... um, that one's a, a tough one for me as far as distance, I think. It's, uh, that, one, it, that place just kind of confuses me. I've had a, a weird run there in the, in the two years before this, and um, it just doesn't feel like I can quite reach things. But then the last round, I shot a, seven, a clean seven down, and none of them were circle two putts, so I can reach things. So that one's just kind of... I don't really know what happens there. It wasn't. I wasn't too concerned about that one. Idlewild kind of hurt my feelings a little bit. That's one of the tracks and kind of in the woods that I'm supposed to do well at. I'm not really sure what happened at that one, but it still the mindset's pretty similar going into the next one. You just gotta, you know, move on from it and uh, try to get past it, not think about it too much, or it can drag you down. During USDGC was on accident when I ended up trying to get it kind of getting the truck and trailer. The deals just kind of fell into place and I had to jump on it at that point. So I had a lot on my mind during that week and I, you know, it's just an incredible atmosphere to be there. Innova does great with how they treat the players there and uh, the course in general, everybody always talks about how they love playing it. Regardless of what you see on the internet in person, all the players that I see there just love being there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, even though I didn't catch there, I would, I didn't feel it was kind of strange cause I've done so well there the last few years, but you know, it's that championship course that OB can bite you. It does it to a lot of players. So I, I was able to handle that one pretty well and, uh, come into this week still feeling strong. Very good. So I think. You told us a little bit about your story. People are wanting to know about your bag. I'm hearing things about polecats and tell us about <laughs> no polecats. No polecats. Okay. <laughs> um, tour series discs, things of that nature. If you get one, do you have one? What do you want to tell us about your discs? What, what's your go-to? You talked about a wraith earlier, but like, what are you throwing? Your go-tos. Yes, Star Wraith is going to be my go-to driver. I actually don't have another distance driver in my bag right now i've got four or five race of different stabilities uh using double g's halo rate for my stable shots um and th- i guess thunderbird could be a distance driver but i throw thunderbirds tl3s mako 3s gators 
Um, pretty much a lot of discs that nobody else throws. <laughs> I throw studs and colts as my putters that I throw a lot, along with the AVR X3. And uh, putt with infinite alpacas. Hmm. So, gotcha, gotcha. no, that's good. People enjoy finding out what, you know, the disc golf pro tour finale champion for the MPO throws with. So there you go. Um, yeah. So Nick, we've called out people before as in like dark horses, but we called them on the Nick and Matt show, the wild horse. And we pick mm-hmm. wild horses. We didn't do that for this finale, but I think it picked it for us right here. I mean, is he not the greatest wild horse we've ever seen in a tournament? I mean, yeah, definitely for this style of tournament, having someone advance from the first round, play four consistent rounds, beating the best players in the world. Uh, yeah, that would definitely be considered that. Okay. So what would, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. No, we both I was going to say ahead. what, what, um, throughout the year, the disc golfers have a very busy schedule of you play your tournament and then you're traveling to the next one. Then you practice a couple of days on the course. Do you do any other practice outside of, just specifically on the course, like what do you think brought you to that next level of being able to consistently play well on the tour? Uh, just whenever you go out to the course, being able to get through the course one time, uh, go forward, you know, walking down the fairway, look back on the fairways and check out what's going on with everything and being able to pretty much just pick out what you want to do by looking at it without actually throwing is, um, one of the one of the skills I would say that's pretty needed to be out here all year long and try to learn so many different courses all the time. That the first year that I played a lot in 2015, I was working five days a week and then I'd go play a tournament on the weekend. So that entire year, I pretty much played 25 or so tournaments blind. The first round, I played blind on the weekends, and I think that transferred. To, to helping me out on the road, getting to play so many different courses, I can take a look at it and just by the distance and the shape of it, able to figure out what disc is going to be best. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, and I'm an amateur level player, and my rating will tell you that I'm not that good. I'm 950, but I think from hanging out and being able to get in some practice rounds, what you just mentioned is super crucial. Like the idea of walking down a fairway and looking backwards and just seeing more than what's on the tee pad. Um, how much practice, and maybe you said this and I missed it. I apologize. Trying to line up show stuff during the show can sometimes make me a bad host. Did you talk about what went into preparation at this event specifically? Uh, how many times did you get in a practice round or things of that nature? Uh, no, I haven't yet, but I was still pretty busy getting, you know, transferring titles and whatnot with the truck and the trailer. And I also sold the RV that I've been traveling in for the last three years uh, so I played one practice round on Tuesday before the event that um, that started on Thursday. I was I was going to play another practice round on Wednesday, but I ended up selling my RV that day and I had to handle some things, <laughs> so I wasn't able to make it out there. <laughs> so I only got one round in, but I took my time. I was probably out there for four and a half or five hours just on my one round, if I didn't get a hole right. Uh, with the disc that I wanted to throw on it, I'd go pick it up and go back and throw it again to make sure that was was the shot that I needed to do. So only one round, but it was a very slow practice round and make sure I had it right. I think 
One of the biggest things for uh, me personally, just kind of talking about, okay, these people advanced the first round, who's going to advance the second round, was in the first round, you had this insane stat of like 72% putting from circle two. Where did that come from? How much time are you spending on your circle two putts? And then to be able to, I mean, you you got me when it came to advancing throughout the rounds and I nothing but congratulations towards you. But I thought after that first round, I was like, okay, he's probably not going to go out and do 72% from circle two again. But then it seemed like when I said that you just went and put the disc closer and then made everything from circle one. So, I mean, that's a huge adjustment, but how much time are you spending putting and where, you know, even in that first round, like where was all that coming from? Um, I do try to do some practice putting every day or multiple times a day. Um, I usually don't putt for longer than 10 or 15 minutes. It's hard for me to focus on it and actually do helpful things for longer than that at a time. Uh, but I, I try to do at least three 10 to 15 minute sessions a day of putting where I'll intertwine circle one and circle two putts, putt from circle two. And if one bounces away, I've got to make the comebackers and things like that. Um, I put in a little bit of extra time warming up before the event than I normally do on the putting green. Usually I just kind of get warmed up, make some putts and then move on. But I, you know, put a little bit of extra time into it, uh, before the round started. I think specifically what got me going on that first round was, um, I part hole one and then on hole two, I put it on the island, was just outside the circle, probably 38 feet or so and um my normal miss is low which is a good thing but damn it's aggravating and um (laughs) i hit the cage for my first circle two putt on hole two and uh there was one of the flag banners behind me waving and i turned around and it was right in my face and i just let it cover my face up for a while i sat there (laughs) just kind of you know focused calming down or doing whatever i don't exactly remember what i was thinking about but it definitely got me fired up like you can't do that again this is not the tournament to hit the cage you have to give these putts a chance and uh i did well after that so sometimes missing one can get you going (laughs) i like how you can remember that moment like that's just making me happy you just you let the flag just blow in your face excellent um so a question that I wanted to ask, and I usually ask for our first-time guest on the Nick and Matt show, is what, can you give us an idea of something you enjoy doing outside of disc golf, whether it's a hobby, uh, just downtime, something relaxing for you? Like, What is it that you like to do outside of disc golf if you're not disc golfing? The biggest thing I've picked up this year is uh, mountain biking, some single track, or downhill if I can find it. But um, I used to do motocross, and I was really missing being on two wheels, it's a little different having a pedal. It's definitely got me in a little better shape, which is nice also. But uh, mountain biking has definitely, that's my hobby aside from my job hobby. Nice. Yeah, that's perfect. And we love hearing what others' hobbies are because it makes you. All right. So I'm going to end the interview there because uh, there's still about three more minutes. And I only got five minutes left before Anchor decides to be, hey, you're out of time to do your podcast episode. So, but yeah, just uh, Nathan Queen. Awesome, incredible guy to listen to. And the fact that he didn't even join the Pro Tour until 2019 um, at the age of 29 and only practiced Hornets Nest once before that. Being the 28th seed, being the highest rated 
our highest seeded player to win the event since Chris Dickerson in 2018. And he was, like I said during the interview, he was also the first or the only player on U Dis Live's pre like pre pick bracket on who was going to win. Uh, to not be picked to make it past the first round, let alone to even win the whole thing. So, uh, total congratulations to Nathan Queen, the left-handed sensation. It is awesome to watch him play. Uh, I didn't really watch him. I didn't really follow him that much. My buddy Jack Fillmore told me, like, oh, I love Nathan Queen. He's, he's, he said he's a really good player. Um, he said you definitely got to watch him play sometimes. And... Like I said, I've watched him a couple times on, like, post-production, you know, being like, oh, that was a great shot, but boom, boom, boom. But to actually watch him play live and to dominate, not just in a tournament, but just to be able to come out and play all four rounds when he, when not everybody had to play all four rounds. So, like I said, congratulations to him. That's a huge win for Nathan Queen and a huge, beyond huge payout for him. Um, so, all right, guys, that about wraps up uh, episode seven here of Off the Chains. Join me next week as I will discuss more about the Greater Joliet Tour Series standings, um, as I didn't even see that that came out until like a couple days ago. Um, and yours truly got ninth out of 90th out of 90 players in MA4. So I'm very happy about that, even though I only played three events. So we'll get into that a little bit more next week, um, as well as getting into off over um, overall like end of season stats for like the top between the top five and top ten players of the MPO division, depending on if I have time, as well as sh as surprising players who surprised me this year, not only by playing good, but also not playing well. And also I will be discussing F the top five FPO players, ups and downs, and stuff to that nature. So, uh, and also, we will also be discussing... Um, um, Weekend recap with the Illinois Valley Invitational that will take place this weekend, starting Saturday at Marilla Park in Streeter, Illinois, and then continue, uh, ending on Sunday at Baker's Lake Disc Golf Course in Peru, Illinois, in LaSalle, Peru, Illinois. So, and if you have not signed up for that yet, please do. It's $65, about $80 all in buy-in if you're doing the Ace Pot and the CTP. Uh, it's ran by Miss Casey Glade, a uh, great person. Great, like great player, great, just an overall great person. I did give her, get, did give the, I did have to give her a little hard time when she said the tee times were up, and I ended up noticing that I was on the very first MA4 card. So I was like, you know, I had to talk you up, and this is the thanks I get. But it's not her choice; it's the PDGA's, unfortunately. But I just thought that that was like perfect. It's like I talked that up, and then I saw myself at that. So, uh, like I said, if you have not signed up for it yet, please do. Um, it'll be a very fun event. Um, also guys, you can follow me, uh, there's a bunch of places you can follow me, but the three main ones I know of are, um, you can follow me right here on Anchor, you can also follow me on Spotify, if you have not, uh, followed me on Spotify yet, I am off the chains, it'll, there'll probably be a bunch of different ones, find the one with my name on it next to it, um, also I am on Google Podcasts. And I believe I am on another thing, a podcast, if I, when I figure that out, I will get more information on that. Um... And also, I have put up an email, a new email address for the show, as requested by a couple of my viewers. Um, it is, and it will be at off the chains 
podcast at yahoo.com. All one word, all lowercase, off the chains, podcast at yahoo.com. For anybody who wants to discuss, have any questions for upcoming sh- uh, episodes, anybody who wants to come onto the show and discuss their disc golf life, and also any improvements I can make to the show. It's greatly appreciated. So follow me on Spotify, Anchor, and Google Podcasts, and also email me at offthechainspodcast at yahoo.com. Other than that, guys, tell someone you love them this week, because not every day is guaranteed. I am Cody Interbold, PDGA member 148739, and I will see you guys next week at 7. Peace!